Before we get into God's word, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do pray that you will bless this teaching of your word, that it will be your truth, not of the speaker, but of you. Please bless this time, keep us from error, and just be with us during this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know what God's most frequent command is? You might think it's something like, love one another. I mean, that's used a lot, but it's not. Or how about, do justice? That's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. But God is all about justice. God loves justice. But that's not it either. Maybe it's, Worship your God in spirit and in truth. But no, again. The most frequent command of God is fear not. Some scholars say that some form of fear not, such as do not be afraid, show up 365 times in the King James Version of the Bible. Some say it's 366, one extra for leap year. Uh, Actually, these two commands are used only 103 times. But dealing with fear is mentioned well over 500 times in God's word. Man is a fearful creature. You know, life is short. Uh, Illness abounds. Danger is about. But in all of this, God says, fear not. In some cases, uh, this might be easier if God didn't, you know, send an angel to some random shepherds watching their flocks in the depth of the night, like in the passage from Luke chapter 2 where it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were filled with fear. Well, I'd be filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And we know how the rest of it goes. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace with whom he is pleased. And you know, I think that part would have been frightening to me too. I think it would just about have scared me to death. The proclamation to fear not, notwithstanding. You know, people are very uneasy in the dark. When one cannot see what is around one, He has to walk warily. There's a reason why God's word is likened to a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path in Psalm 119. Let's read the whole thing. That's a little Psalm 119 joke. For for Robin, no, we're not going to, don't bother turning there. We're not, that's all I'm going to read from Psalm 119, which is the longest book in the Bible. So there's also a reason why Ephesians 6.12 calls Satan the prince of darkness. Because darkness is not our friend. 
I grew up in a very quiet corner of the San Fernando Valley. Now, you might not think that there's a quiet corner in the San Fernando Valley, but I grew up in it. I grew up in about an area of a half mile square that four generations of my family had lived in. I knew every portion of this. My grandfather lived about a half mile away, and I was very close to him. I'd go over uh, of an evening after dinner and uh, play chess with him or listen to the Dodger game or do both at the same time. But then I had a half mile ride home on my bike on dirt roads with no lights. It's an area of horse ranches. Nobody was about. And this was during a time when UFOs were in the news and alien abductions of people. And, and especially on the really, really dark nights, I was a little uneasy. But of course, nothing ever happened, right? Nothing ever happened until the time it did. So I'm, I'm riding home from my grandfather's. There's not a light anywhere. I've just gotten through the worst portion of it that was completely black and I can see the neighbor's houses up ahead. And all of a sudden, from the side of the, the bushes on the side of the road right next to me, a huge creature crashed out of the bushes and charged at me. Now, experts will tell you that a boy on a Schwinn bicycle can't outrun a buffalo, but I'm still here. There's more to that story, but I might need it for another sermon. You know, I don't, I don't recall ever being afraid in the dark again. I mean, what else could happen? What could be worse, right? But a common theme in the Bible is man being afraid and God offering to be man's strength and then man being afraid again. I was interested in our uh, Old Testament uh, uh, reading today. I didn't use it, but I used two on either side of it. In Genesis, we see God calling Abram. Terah took Abram and his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 203 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whom, him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, all of the families, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So let's recap. Abram knows God has called him. He believes God is leading him out from Ur of the Chaldeans and into the land of Canaan. The Lord, after he gets there, the Lord appears to him and announces that Abram's offspring are being given the land of Canaan. And the operational word here is offspring because Abram 
and Sari, his wife, are childless. So we know that this is going to be in the future, that he has no children yet, but he will be a great nation. But then comes a famine, and he goes down to Egypt. And what does it say there? It says, now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Boy, that was brave of him. When, when Abram e- entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you not say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pretty pretty abrupt there. Now Abram has been promised by God that he will be a great nation. And that he, Abram, would be a blessing. But as soon as he gets to Egypt, he is afraid. What about God's promises? I mean, God appeared to him, and yet he's afraid. Now his grandson Jacob, and this is the part that interests me because I didn't use Isaac, who did basically the same thing in the Old Testament reading, but his grandson Jacob did not fall far from the tree. For in Genesis 28, 10-17, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and at the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north, to the south, And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his dream and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. As the noted theologian Yogi Berra once said, it's deja vu all over again. 
Jacob is promised by God that his offspring would be like the dust of the earth and that through his line all the world would be blessed. And yet, when Jacob returned to the land of Canaan, he was afraid he would be killed by his brother Esau. And he sets up this elaborate caravan of gifts to appease Esau. The moral of the story is man is fearful even standing in the promises of God. But this is not what God wants for us. As Paul wrote to Timothy in 2, 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. An example of this would be the mother of Abraham and Jacob's distant grandson. This is from Luke 2. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Well, she reacts just about the way that I think I would again. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting that might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, adultery in that time meant death by stoning. There was a reason that she would be worried about this strange circumstance. Doesn't happen very often. Hadn't happened before. But her response is, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Her faith was instant and unwavering. The instances of strong faith and weak faith resonates through the pages of the Bible. Moses, through faith, confronted Pharaoh, and he was afraid to go. He didn't want to go. Basically, he was saying, send Aaron. He speaks better than I do. And God said, well, Aaron go too. But Moses didn't want to go to Pharaoh. Then through faith, he led his people out of Egypt. But then about to cross into the land God had given them, the Israelites' faith weakened and they would not enter to possess the land. God then denied them entry until that generation had passed away. Then there's Gideon, who God chose to free the Israelites from the Midianites. And I was reading about this where he asked God, you know, if you really want me to do this, you know, here's this fleece. 
bring a dew upon it, have all the ground dry with the fleece wet, and so God does it. Gideon says, huh. He says, let's do this again. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground wet. So God did that. And so Gideon then goes and he assembled an army of, I love this story, 22,000 people. And God says, nah, that's too many men. You'll think you won the battle by yourself. So God gives him a series of tests. Gets it down to 10,000, gets it down to 5,000, gets it down to 1,000, gets it down to 300, and God says, now we're talking. And Gideon takes his 300 men and defeats the Midianite army. There's Daniel, faithfully worshiping God all the way to the lion's den. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego following God into the fiery furnace. There's David as a youth facing the giant Goliath with no weapon but a sling and no armor. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks of what he endured for his faith in God when he says, Five times I received at the hands of Jews the forty lashes less one. Forty lashes was considered a death sentence, and the Jews were not allowed to administer forty lashes because of that case. So they very generously always reduced it to 39 lashes. So he says, Forty times I received at the hands of the Jews. Forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak, and who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul fearlessly stood with the Lord helping him. And that brings us to today and the point of this message. And, and we are, you know, I'd say it brings us to today. I sort of skipped 2,000 years there very conveniently, didn't I? Don't worry, I'm going back. We're in a time right now that people have given in to a spirit of fear. The pandemic that the Chinese Communist Party has unleashed upon the world has even some Christians hiding. We, in fact, have not seen some of our members at this church for nearly a year now. It's not as if the world has not experienced pandemics before. My mother-in-law was born at the end of the Spanish flu. She lost her mother as an infant to the Spanish flu. Ninety-nine years later, my mother-in-law is going through this pandemic. Talk about luck. The Spanish flu infected fully one-third of the world's population and killed upwards of 100 million people. It killed young, healthy adults. Didn't kill the young, didn't kill the old. It killed young, healthy adults. 
It is said that a person could be healthy in the afternoon and dead that same evening. It happened so quickly. And yes, people wore makeshift masks, but they did not hide or lock their economies down. Now, there have been smallpox epidemics in the United States. From 1870 to 1804, one ravaged the world. Another in the late 1700s claimed the life of Jonathan Edwards. Still, people did not hide away. Cholera still ravages the world, and it has done so many times. And you all know the story of the Black Plague. It hit the world from 1338 to 1351. Up to 200 million died, and it was fatal 50% of the time to those who caught it. Cities emptied out as people fled to the countryside. People have always known that cities are dangerous in pandemics. And half of Europe's population died during the Black Plague. And in A.D. 165 to 180, I told you I'd pick up those other 2,000 years. We're just, we're just back there now. Was the Antonine Plague in the Roman Empire, and it was all over the empire. And again, cities emptied out as people fled their country homes. The point of this is that in these times of illness, God's people still worshipped, still ministered, still took care of one another. This is not the time for the church to be fearful, cautious, and anxious. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you can, that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You cannot add even an hour to your lifespan. God has giving you a definite time to be alive. I wonder, you know, how can a missionary, I bring missionaries up a lot. If I had become a Christian early in life, I probably would have had to be a missionary. And I'm the type of person who, you know, if I was a missionary, there was an old song that says, please don't send me to Africa. That's me. I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to go to India. I don't want to go to China. I don't want to go to Southeast Asia. I don't want to go to the Middle East. Um, 
maybe Canada, you know, Scandinavia, okay. But if a, if, if a missionary was worried about their life, if they really were worried about their life, they couldn't do it. They had to stand fearlessly with God. Eric Liddell, and everybody knows who he is, I'm sure, uh, the movie Chariots of Fire was was done about his life. He was a world-class athlete. He was an Olympic sprinter. He re- and he famously refused to, to race on the Sabbath. He was the son of missionaries to China, and they had sent him back to Scotland to be uh, schooled. Well, after the Olympics, and I'm, that's not the point of my story, Liddell went back to the country of his birth, China, to be a missionary. This was in the mid-1930s, and I don't know if you know what was going on in China in the mid-1930s, but uh, the Nanking Massacre might come to mind. China was a dangerous place. Japan had invaded, and they were rounding people up. And Eric Liddell took his wife, who was also a Chinese missionary, they met in China, and his three young daughters, and they went to a camp in China where his brother was a doctor. His brother was ill. Eric Liddell went to replace his brother. His brother had to go back and recover from his illness. And it got so bad that eventually the British authorities said that it was time for people to get out of China. And Eric Liddell sent his wife and his children. to. She was from Canada. He was from Scotland. So they went back to live with her mother and father in Canada. Well, Eric Liddell stayed in China and he never saw his family again. He died in captivity. He didn't die from maltreatment, though, as many did who were in Japanese camps. He, the last letter he wrote his wife was on the day he died and he told her that he thought he had had a, a mental breakdown. Well, it wasn't a mental breakdown. He had a brain tumor that was affecting him. And he died of it. See, Eric Liddell did not die because he was in an internment camp. He did not die because of an untreated brain tumor. He died because it was God's will. And for God's glory. The Christian should know that you won't die accidentally. You may die in an accident, but it wasn't by accident. Matthew 10, 29-32 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? These are Jesus' words again. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. God knows who you are. He knows every hair on your head. You cannot die before your time. You are invincible. You are immortal until God calls you home. There is nothing too scary to face. And even then, 
I contend you will not die. Others might think you're dead. I read this passage in my sermon last week, and I'm reading it again today, but with a different emphasis. John 11, 17, uh, John 11, 17 through 26. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, and now let's listen to this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I take Jesus at his word. Everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. You know, it's said that when a Christian, a very common saying, when a Christian closes his eye to this, to this world, he opens the next in heaven, in paradise. I think it's probably more seamless than that. I'm pretty certain you're not going to know you died, that you're just going to be in the presence of the Lord. You're going to leave behind people who weep and who moan and who mourn. But that person who hears and believes in Jesus has eternal life. Jesus does not say you will have eternal life. He says in at least three different places, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. The Apostle John says the same thing in 1 John 5, 11 through 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And Jesus said in John 5:24, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I'm going to close this sermon with the death of Jonathan Edwards. I told you that he died during a smallpox epidemic. He decided to get a smallpox inoculation as an example for the people of Princeton, New Jersey, where he'd gone to uh, head up Princeton and to preach. Inoculations back then were with live virus. You got pricked and they put that virus in you. It often worked. And with Jonathan Edwards, at first it seemed that the vaccination had succeeded. But then he developed symptoms of the disease. As it became apparent he was going to die, his daughter Lucy was in his room and he said to his daughter Lucy, remember people were around writing down things that Jonathan Edwards said, even on his deathbed. He said, dear Lucy, 
It seems to me to be the will of God that I must shortly leave you. Therefore, give my kindest love to my dear wife. She had not yet moved to Princeton to be with Jonathan Edwards. Therefore, give my kindest love to my dear wife. And I hope she will be supported under so great a trial and submit cheerfully to the will of God. And as to my children, you are now to be left fatherless, which I hope will be an inducement to seek a father who will never fail you. A little while later, he looked around the room and probably with dimming eyes said, Now where is Jesus of Nazareth, my true and never failing friend? He fell silent and those in the room thought he was unconscious. When suddenly he spoke his last words, Trust in God and you need not fear. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we do not need to fear. We are in your hands. We cannot die until your appointed time. We should live fearlessly for you. We should live live bravely. And we should trust your word that what you have said to us is the absolute truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.